It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So on this episode of The Murder Sheet, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Uh, Kevin and I are off script today. We're just speaking off the cuff about this subject. And uh, so if things sound a little bit more all over the place, then that's why. But this is a subject that we really wanted to delve into with our audience and sort of discuss and talk about all the different facets of, because we feel like it's really important to clarify some things about where the Delphi investigation stands according to what we've found. So what we're specifically talking about today is the two specific angles of possible suspects in the case. The first is everything around Kegan Anthony Klein. This is the young man who was arrested. He was from Peru, Indiana, and he's been connected publicly with the Anthony Schatz account that uh, 
Delphi victim Liberty German was in contact with before her death. That's one very strong angle in the case that we've looked into a lot, but uh, there's, there's another one that's come up more recently, even though it's older. And that, of course, is the Ronald Logan angle. We recently released a search warrant and the accompanying probable cause affidavit that was used to obtain that search warrant. And this search warrant was for the property of Ronald Logan. And in order to get that search warrant, the FBI agent who wrote it was obliged to lay out a case against Ronald Logan. In other words, she needed to explain why it was worth her time. She needed to explain why it was worth the time of the FBI to investigate and search that property. Since we released the document, a number of people have started uh, rather loudly declaring that the case is solved and that the perpetrator was obviously Ronald Logan. Uh, Even before we continue this episode, uh, it's really important to stress here at the outset, the case is not solved. The case will not be solved until there is an arrest and hopefully a conviction. We thought it would make sense to spend some time today talking about the case for and against both Ronald Logan and the case for and against Kagan Klein and his father, Tony Klein. Because Delphi, the Delphi murders, this is a case in which speculation has abounded for a very long time. And with any unsolved case, a degree of speculation is likely warranted because that you know, encourages people to talk through things and try to get a sense of what happened and how can we solve this. But speculation in this case rises to a ridiculous point oftentimes, and what I'm talking about is this. Then we've seen this again and again throughout the years. Somebody who has a criminal history will come along, have some connection to the area. The media will breathlessly report on it in connection with the Delphi case. Then it goes away, and some people remain com- convinced that that's the you know, person of interest, and then others kind of, you know, forget about it and go on to their own persons of interest. And because we have been doing a lot of the coverage recently on Klein and Logan, we wanted to take more of a forceful stand on saying, let's actually look at the facts that could point to or away from these men. So the way we're going to handle this episode is that I will start out by making a case against Ronald Logan outlining all the major points that the FBI sort of noted in their probable cause affidavit and trying to formulate an argument around why he's a good suspect. And after Anya finishes that, we will have a back and forth where I will try to discuss some of the strengths and weaknesses of that case. And then after that, I will discuss the case against the Kleins. We'll have a similar back and forth, and then we'll have a few words in conclusion. At the end of this episode, I think you'll have a better sense of where Kevin and I personally stand in our views on the case and why we feel that the Kleins are the more credible lead at this point. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. 
We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet. And this is the Delphi murders, Ronald Logan and the Kleins. So to start off with, I will be speaking about some of the factors that pointed to Ronald Logan, at least in the view of the FBI, back in March 2017. So this man lives on the property where the girls' bodies were found. There's a proximity angle here that can't be ignored. Something happened on his property. He lives there. Seems like a Right off the bat, that's somebody you want to look at, or at least speak to, because maybe they're a witness, or maybe something else is going on. One thing that we heard a lot of in the probable cause affidavit is that Ron Logan bore a physical resemblance to Bridge Guy, who was caught on film, and that people who knew Ron Logan when they saw Bridge Guy thought it was Ron Logan. Uh, he dressed similar to Bridge Guy. He owned a fanny pack which some people feel they see in the video, although none of that's confirmed. It's a, it's a grainy video, so, you know, it's not really clear if he's wearing a fanny pack or if it's something else going on or if it's part of his shirt. It's just, but people felt that that was him. They saw the man. They thought of their the person they knew, Ronald Logan, and they thought that was the same guy. And uh, the FBI also notes that his voice is not dissimilar to the voice caught by Libby on her phone. So all of that sort of, to me, is a, a preliminary, he checks all those boxes. None of that's conclusive, because I'm sure you could, you know, there's other people in the area that are sketchy, and a lot of people sound and look like that. But all of that you need to clear if you're going to be somebody who's considered a suspect. So the other thing that the probable cause affidavit leans very heavily on is past bad acts by Ron Logan. So what does that mean? Well, in his case, he perpetuated violence and threats against romantic partners in his life. He was abusive. He was physically abusive. And that is something when you're willing to use violence against people, is there a possibility that that could escalate to where you're actually attacking strangers? Yes, we've seen that before. So you have violence, you have proximity, you have, he passes the resemblance test. The other big thing that people have latched onto from the probable cause affidavit is that Logan was dishonest. So he basically told law enforcement that he was, a friend was driving him out to a Lafayette uh, fish store, aquarium store, and then he called the person who was his alibi and asked him to give him an alibi. So you have duplicity, you have dishonesty here. This is a person who is trying to hide what they were doing. So all of that connected together 
are, I would say, the, the focal points of the probable cause affidavit where FBI agent Nicole Robertson is trying to piece that all together and say, all of these factors mean that we have to look at this guy. We need to be able to access his house and look into what's been going on here. Those are all valid and interesting points. I think, though, it's worth pointing out something about process. And by this, I mean when you're trying to figure out who committed a crime, you start with a big pool of potential perpetrators, and then you start looking for ways to exclude people, to winnow them out. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you have like uh, a room of like a thousand men and women, and you know the crime is committed by a man, you can automatically exclude all of the women. You've narrowed your pool. But what you want to do is ultimately exclude everybody but one person. And the problem with those points is that they are interesting, but they don't get the pool of suspects windowed down far enough. Uh, in my judgment, all of those things said about Ronald Logan could apply to dozens, if not hundreds, of other people. And so they're ultimately not convincing in terms of pointing the finger at him and at no one else. We're looking for something specifically about a suspect that applies to no one else but him. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Ronald Logan was there that day. A lot of people were there that day. That doesn't really mean a great deal. Uh, you mentioned that he bore a certain physical resemblance to the sketches and to the video itself. And it's even fair to say that some people who knew Logan looked at the video, looked at the sketches, and thought, that's him. But the problem is, the video, it's wonderful that she captured that video. Yeah, it was an incredibly brave act. Unfortunately, due to technical or whatever limitations, the video's blurry. It's not crystal clear. It's really hard to look at that video and make a solid identification of anybody. And the sketches also are very well done sketches, but they are vague enough to apply to a lot of different people. And in fact, anyone who has followed this case even casually over the years is aware that at different times, other potential suspects have been suggested or brought forward and people have said, gosh, this, this particular suspect sure looks a lot like the sketch, like Chadwell, uh, many others. Yeah, that's kind of the, the typical discourse around the Delphi case. It's like, can we mix and match the sketches and the video and make our person of interest, does he look like them? So you can't have that as a determining factor. Oh, Logan looks like the sketch. He must be guilty. Because that argument would also apply to other people. Oh, Chadwell looks like the sketch. He must be guilty. You need more than that. There's a past history of domestic violence, which is horrible. And I'm not defending that at all. And I'm not minimizing it. No, it's, it's obviously very serious. It's, it's a terrible, terrible thing to commit uh, domestic violence against anyone. But in this case, the domestic violence he committed was committed against adult 
romantic partners. But if you hit an adult woman you're involved with romantically, you might also attack children or other people too. Yeah. There's no doubt about that, that you have escalation of behavior. We've seen that a lot in mass shooters. There's often a history of domestic violence that can predict then going out and killing strangers. So with that said, though, it's still interesting that his only crimes on the record that we know about are crimes against adult women. So that seems similar in the same general area is what might have happened to the girls, but it's a little bit different. And also it is worth noting that as unfortunate and terrible as it is, it is true that there's a lot of men out there who commit domestic violence. Yes. And so that in itself is not a good reason to point the finger squarely at him and at no one but him. And then the other main point is that Ronald Logan is a liar. He's dishonest. He lied to police. In this case, it's worth noting that he had he had a reason to lie independent of the murders. I'll, I'll note, I didn't say this in the opening, but I think it is very important to note that this man had an extensive history of drinking and driving and was his his problem with alcohol was to the extent that this was a common occurrence in his life. So this is not a person who's on probation and it's not a big deal. Um, his, his criminal record mostly focuses on DUIs. And so I think that's important to state because it's getting to the point where he has a known relationship, it seems, with local authorities because of his DUI history. And the more that you are busted for that, the worse things are going to get for you. And he's on probation right now, which puts you immediately on the defensive when police start coming around and asking about information that could pertain to probation violations. And he was out driving by himself that afternoon. So he would get in trouble for that because driving by himself for Ronald Logan with his history is a probation violation. Police start coming around asking questions. Where were you this afternoon? Uh, and he gets nervous and he calls uh, an associate of his and says, tell people you were with me when I was driving this afternoon. Yeah, it, when someone has a reason to lie and they think maybe they could get away with it because they don't want to upturn their life suddenly and they're not expecting police to be asking them questions, then I can, it, it sort of makes sense. And I think you pointed out something very interesting about his initial alibi when we first looked at these documents. And that was the timing is totally off. The abduction likely happened around that 10 past two, thereabouts. His alibi initially covered 3 p.m. onwards. So that struck me as a bit odd. You know, if you're, if you are a guilty party, I would think that you would probably try to perhaps extend your alibi timeline as long as, you know, possible and certainly at least cover the initial part of the crime. But he's like an hour off, basically. And so that... I guess you could argue that anything could be some sort of intricate trick or trying to make, you know, make yourself look innocent by having a less than perfect alibi. I don't know. Or or that you could also argue that if, you know, if you're killing in a in a frenzied state or something or your state of mind is off, 
perhaps you're not as aware of what time it is. But if if his if his alibi is really so nefarious, why is it uh, why does it completely miss the you know the initial interaction with the girls? I would say that generally in our research, not just on this case, but in every case we have researched, and also to an extent our experiences in life, that generally speaking, when you have more than one possible explanation for a series of events, the explanation that is dullest and least interesting is the one that is most likely to be true. So in this case, did Ronald Logan lie to police in a desperate and doomed attempt to cover up his culpability in a double murder committed by himself on his property? Or did Ronald Logan lie to police because he was an old man with a history of alcohol offenses and he was scared he would get in trouble for driving alone that day? My strong feeling is the latter, the boring explanation. And I'll add this, I'm a recovering alcoholic Guess what you do when you're actively drinking and and people are calling you on it in some way? You, you lie. lie. You, you lie. lie. Al- <laughs> lying, you become a consummate liar. You become somebody who is, you know, building scaffolding of lies upon lies just so you can get whoever's asking you off your back about your drinking. It 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 comes second nature. And so that's an instance where I wonder if his I don't want to say he's an alcoholic, but the fact that he has so many DUIs, I think he certainly had some severe drinking problem. I think it's fair to extrapolate based on the, based on his record. Um, you don't just accidentally get that many DUIs. I, I, I'm going to say, you know, that's something that resonates with me, that he's he's used to lying, he's used to covering up his problem, and he does it, in this case, without really thinking it through, and, and it kind of becomes a huge issue later on. And we both, I think, are skeptical of Ron Logan as a suspect angle. But we want to say that obviously all of this means that law enforcement was absolutely right to look into him. History of violence, proximity, and lies are something you absolutely need to check out. And they did. And guess what? Nothing happened. (laughs) They went after Logan hard. They, they threw him in prison for the probation violation. They searched his property. They obviously regarded him as a possible suspect. He was never charged. And so that, to me, says they didn't really find anything conclusive against him. And so that, that tends to make me take him a lot less seriously as a possible suspect. Not only did they never charge him, not only did they never name him as a suspect or even a person of interest, but they actually let him out of jail before he died. House arrest. House arrest. So they had an opportunity, perhaps you could say, that if he was dying in, in while incarcerated, perhaps that's your last chance to get him to confess or something, possibly, or you know, work out some sort of deal. But... Instead, they let him go back home where he subsequently passed away. And to me, that doesn't really sound like how you treat somebody who you're absolutely sure is a double murderer in a very high-profile case that demands solving for the families, for the community, for everybody else. That That's just not, that's not how it goes. It seems to me that for our, for our, you know, in terms of our opinion... The Ron Logan episode 
is interesting as far as it gives us a sense of where the case was in March 2017, gives us a sense of why police at some time may have thought that Logan was involved, and it gives us a sense of why things may have turned away from the Kleins, who came on the radar first seemingly in February of 2017. Oftentimes, the media, the mainstream media, can kind of run with something new and shiny, and maybe kind of shape a narrative that I think is a little bit less than accurate. But to, because to act like all of this is somehow conclusive of like he's definitely the killer, and we should stop looking. I think that that's ludicrous. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roco slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So now let's take a few minutes to talk about the case against the Kleins as we understand it today. The first thing to note is that we're not sure where they were at the time of the crime. They have offered an alibi It's frankly a pretty weak alibi. It seems pretty easy to poke holes into it. 
And when we talk about people being dishonest or lying to police, anyone who's read the Kagan Klein transcript is well aware that Kagan Klein is a liar and that he lies to police with stunning ease. He's a dishonest man. So it's difficult to take the stated alibi seriously. So if, if we're starting the winnowing process, we've winnowed away honest people. Uh, but let's keep winnowing. The next step is, is there a resemblance? I think if you look at the video of Bridge Guy, and if you watch him walk, he certainly bears a physical resemblance to Tony Klein. When you listen to the audio of Bridge Guy, I think it is pretty indisputable that his voice bears a strong resemblance to the voice of Kagan Klein. So that's also a bit of a winnowing. We've now winnowed away the people who don't sound or look like Bridge Guy. So let's continue this process. Let's look at past bad acts. Uh, the, the history of the Kleins had, suggests a pattern. There is a lot of domestic violence issues. Tony Klein beat his wives. He beat his stepchildren. Uh, anyone who's looked at the history of the Kagan Klein account also knows that uh, the holders of that account uh, repeatedly expressed strong sexual interest in young children. Uh, seeking out images of nude children, and even worse. And we can also say that if you look at Tony Klein's criminal record, you will find that he, in court papers, he has been accused of stalking a child. So the bad acts there are just as bad as the bad acts that Ronald Logan committed, only even worse. Because Logan's bad acts were directed entirely, as far as we know, towards adults. The bad acts of the Klein family extend, and they reach people in the age group of Abby and Libby. And they also seem to suggest a sexual interest in people of that age group. So the winnowing process continues. Can we get to a point where it's no one but the Kleins? I think we can get pretty close because the next stage of the winnowing process is that the holders of the Anthony Schatz account had a direct relationship with Liberty German, one of the victims. We know for a fact that Anthony Schatz was in direct communication with Liberty German. We can't say that about Ronald Logan. can't say that about Chatwell or any of the other possible suspects that have been discussed. Anthony Schatz is the only one we know about who was in direct communication with Liberty German. He was, in fact, in communication with Liberty German as late as the morning of the day she was killed. We also know for a fact that Liberty German was quote-unquote enthralled with Anthony Schatz and was interested in arranging a personal meeting with him. We also know that Anthony Schatz seems to have conceded that such a meeting was planned because after Liberty went missing, Anthony Schatz wrote to a friend of Liberty's, 
I was supposed to meet Liberty. So he's acknowledging that a meeting was arranged. I really think we have winnowed it down to where we have a group which is basically no one but the clients. They have a direct relationship with Liberty. She's interested in meeting him. He's interested in meeting her. Yet there's a history of domestic violence. There's a history of inappropriate interest sexually in children. There's a shaky alibi. You can't say these about anybody else. Not to mention the fact that police said that the Anthony Schatz account bore the markings of having at least two people communicating on it based on speech patterns, and that both of those people were located at the Klein household. So you have, let me just spell it out as clearly as possible, you have a father and son duo with a history of both violence and sexual interest in children, stalking, peeping, all of this, in contact with a victim of, of a homicide right before her death, and that a meeting seemed to be on the table. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. So to say that somehow a guy with a history of violence that looks awfully different from what happened with the Delphi case lived nearby and murdered two strangers for the first time and left them on his property. You know, that that to me is a, is a significantly weaker case than known predators communicating with children. Meetup happens, possibly, and the children end up murdered. I think that's a pretty strong... I think that's, I mean, that's pretty much why we are much more interested in the Klein angle than the Logan and angle. And we can certainly tell you that all of our communications with people from behind the scenes indicate strongly that the Kleins remain the strong focus of this investigation. And, and let's also look at the timeline here for a second. February 2017, about two weeks after the murders, police raid the Klein household in Peru. Kagan Klein, according to police transcripts, is interrogated and given a polygraph test. So that happens immediately after the murders. They're immediately on the radar. A month later, Logan attracts this probable cause affidavit. Resources are put into that instead. Zoom forward a few years. August 2020. Kagan Klein is brought in for questioning. He's put under arrest for child sexual abuse materials charges. So to me, what this looks like from the outside, and this is not based on anything we've heard from a source to be very clear. This is me conjecturing, speculating, what have you. But it almost seems like the Kleins were a focus early on. Things may have pivoted somewhat with Logan, or perhaps perhaps investigation into the Kleins were, was also ongoing, but just with a different team within the Delphi investigation. So it's not that they necessarily dropped anything. It's just that, you know, different different things are coming up. Perhaps different people are looking into different things. And then time passes, and then things seem to really then lock down on Kagan Klein, Anthony Schatz, Tony Klein in 2020. And I think our understanding is that's where we've been ever since. That's where the investigation has been going ever since. So that bears stating that the timeline tells you a lot. It's not that Logan is somehow on the rise again behind the scenes 
here in 2022. That's we've not heard anything to indicate that. One thing that you know we've heard from people that they're wondering about, and uh, you know there are questions around this that I wanted to talk about today is this idea that the abundance of people who are named as suspects in the media is detrimental to the case. And what I'm talking about here is Chadwell. I'm talking about nations. I'm talking about all these people who sort of rise up to the top and then are left behind. And and that includes Logan in this case, this recent kind of attention put on him. Is, is, that, is that something that is... Uh, worsening the possibility of reasonable doubt when it comes to a trial against the killer? I would say just the opposite. Because in my opinion, if I was a defense attorney or whoever is ultimately arrested and charged with these crimes, one of the first things I do is I'm going to go through the records and history of the investigation. And if, if I'm able to say, oh, look, the property owner had a history of domestic violence. They didn't really investigate that at all. They should have done that. I can go up and I can make insinuations about that and create reasonable doubt. But in this case, you can't because as part of the investigatory process, everybody has been looked at. And these people who we've named have been either eliminated or very close to eliminated. So the fact that other people have been looked at and ruled out, that gives defense attorneys something less to exploit. Because the police have done their jobs and said, we looked into them, we went at them hard, and guess what? Nothing happened. We didn't find anything. They didn't do it. We looked into it. We didn't just let them coast by while we honed in on your, your client specifically. So Exactly. You, so, yeah. so the defense attorney can't say, well, if you had looked hard at Ronald Logan, you wouldn't have arrested my client because they did look hard at Ronald Logan. They looked hard at Chadwell. They looked hard at everybody. This is part of the process. They did their jobs. So you're saying that even without leaks or media reports around the case, that defense attorneys would have access to all this information that is out there anyway because... Yes, that's how the process works. Maybe speak a bit to that, because I think people, you know, people who are not in the legal profession may not be as cognizant of what that process looks like. In this country, our legal system operates under the principle that we do not want to convict innocent people, understandably. And we also understand that, and to some extent, uh, the game might appear rigged against whoever goes on trial. Because if you go on trial, even if you have money and wealth, you do not have all of the resources that the government has. So the government has more power than you do. So we try to arrange things to uh, level the playing field a bit. And one of the ways we do that is there's something called a discovery process where the prosecution, the government, is obliged to share uh, all the information they have relevant to the case with the defense in order to help make sure the defense is able to do their job properly. So this material would be shared with the defense. And obviously another part of the process is no one is considered guilty until there is not just an arrest but a conviction. And so if you think it's the Kleins, if you think it's Logan, 
if you think it's Chadwell or whoever else, you're welcome in the privacy of your own mind to think whatever you want. But understand, the case is not over. We have been very disturbed to get reports that in communities around Delphi, people are taking down the posters and saying, well, it's over, the case is solved, we don't need to talk or think about it anymore. It's not over. The case is not solved. We owe it to Abby and Libby to keep on thinking about this case and talking about this case and keeping our eyes out for those bits of information that will enable the police to finally bring the perpetrators of this crime to justice. And I believe that they will be able to do so. I'd like to say in regards to those reports that people have been doing things like removing flyers. You know, if you if you're aware of people who are doing that, you know, I, I confront them. I mean, that's that's just despicable behavior, in my opinion. The case will be over when it is adjudicated or police present some sort of compelling statement beyond that. That's when it's over. Nobody else gets to decide when it's over. Okay, uh, going around doing things like that or even saying things to the effect of it's over, don't talk about it anymore, is, is just really heinous behavior. And those kinds of actions have consequences. And I like to think that most of the people who follow this case and care about this case really care about getting justice for Abby and Libby. And they care about doing it right and we need to just continue to have that mindset and not the mindset of when can we stop talking about this? Because that's, that's not anybody's call until we actually get answers in a trial. And, and that's, that has not happened yet. So therefore, no matter what your theory is, you know, you don't, you don't get to play God like that and just tear down stuff and upset families and, and just, you know, re-traumatize the community. It's just not okay. So please keep talking about this case. Please keep looking for answers. Please don't give up on searching for the killer of Abby and Libby. And let's just all continue to work to get justice for these girls, their families, their loved ones, their friends, and their community that misses them dearly. It's not over yet. If you have information that you'd like to share with us about Logan, the Kleins, or the Delphi case in general, then email murdersheet at gmail.com. We protect our sources. If you need to get in contact with police about this case, email your tip to abbyandlibbytip at cacoshrf.com or call the tip line at 765-822-3535. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. 
Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.